Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Oh, that was a strong first play. Normally it takes me another try, but well done. Well done. I am so glad that you are here. And how many of you are traveling for Christmas this year? Give me some hands. Give me some hands. A few of you. Very good. Very good. Well, I am excited about Christmas. You know, it helps when you have kids and the excitement, but uh, it also uh, is a beautiful thing that we celebrate in Advent. The candles remind us that the unbroken circle just of the eternal significance of Jesus stepping on earth and becoming flesh. But one of the things that Advent does as well, at least in my mind, is makes me consider this idea, this lifestyle of following Jesus. I mean, have you ever asked yourself the question in the midst of the hustle, am I really following Jesus? And if you haven't asked yourself that question, I want to invite you to ask yourself that question today. Am I really following Jesus? Jesus, I think we all have moments, whether you are a follower of Jesus or maybe you walked in here today not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you'll watch this online and you're not a follower of Jesus. All of us, part of the human experience is to come to these certain moments of life and ask yourself, is this really what it's all about? It's that age-old question, what happens to me when I die, or am I getting the most out of life? We all have that moments, and I think we all equally have those moments, whether we're following Jesus or not, where we ask ourselves, is, is what I, is what Mitch, you insert your name, is what Mitch can manufacture for himself really what this life is all about. Because you can be the most followed influencer. You can be the perfect mom or the perfect dad or the perfect businessman or perfect businesswoman and, and have all of those things and still yet be left wanting more. Why is that? People have speculated about that for centuries. And I think one of the things that Advent does for us is it brings us back, it centers us back to remind us that the most fulfilling part of your life does not come from within yourself, it comes from outside of yourself. Advent is the, ex, is the invitation of the expectation that there is more. There is more. Life is Advent. But, but we, we chase that in so many ways, don't we? I mean, we chase it in our sports teams. We chase it in our jobs. We chase it in our kids. We chase it in finding a spouse. We chase it in any number of things. And for whoever you are, and I'm not telling you anything new. Pastors have been talking about this for, for ages Reminding all of us that, that life isn't about all that we can manufacture, but yet we still try and manufacture. We, we know it, we want it, but we don't what? We don't have it. 
Because there's more going on behind the scenes too, isn't there? There's a spiritual war taking place. And you can even see it in the shifts of our modern secular culture with the church. And I'm just thinking primarily about the United States of America, but we could probably go farther and look to other places that have gone faster than us or slower than us in their slide towards a secular culture. But uh, Andrew Root describes the shift in three phases, and I don't want to get super philosophical with you, but I want to lay this I want to lay this foundation for what I think is so important about this particular Advent season for us. But Andrew Root describes it in three phases, okay? Secular one, secular two, secular three. Super easy, all right? But secular one was basically years ago the division of public and private, the division of church and state, where you remember like back in the day where the Church of England like ran the show, right? And so like the church and state, the public and private sectors of life were together, right? Where, where they, they, those lines were blurry and the priest and the pope and all these people, they had sway in your life. They had sway in public policy. They had sway in all of these places. But then secular too began to come and there was a loss of participation in those religious institutions, We might still believe that there's a God, but I don't got time for church. And so church attendance would start to wane and and participation in confession and participation in a lot of the things that the church had built began to decline. With that came a loss of trust in institutions and some of it right, rightfully so, and some of it not. Secular three, then, which I think is where we are now, is just simply the loss of transcendence, the loss of a belief in a God at all at large. But here's where I think that matters to us, is that I believe the church, us, at a broad level, not just Redeemer, but at a broad level, has fought secular two, that lack of church attendance, that slow fade, with speed and innovation and reach. Now that might not sound all bad, and it's not all bad. Reach is important. In fact, if there was no reach, you wouldn't be here today because you'd have no idea that we were even here. So reach is not all bad, but reach for the sake of reach can become dangerous. Why? Because it means that we have moved the goalposts. And this is what I want you to think about this. It means we've moved the goalpost from discipling and finding people and teaching them the ways of Jesus. We've moved the goalpost from apprenticeship to Jesus to reach. What that looks like for uh, the church is that it matters more that we have butts and seats, excuse my French, than it does actual followers of Jesus. Jesus would say it this way. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Right? That Jesus said it this way as well. Go into all the world, reach, and preach the gospel. Baptize them. And that's a lot of times where our modern church culture stops. Go into all the world, 
preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then he drops this bomb on us. Are you ready? And teach them how much? Everything that I have commanded them. And therein lies the problem with reach for the sake of reach. If it's only about butts and seats, then innovation, speed, technology, all of that is great. And we're using it right now. I'm glad if you're watching online, you're with us. But reach for the sake of reach is dangerous because it moves the goalposts for me as your pastor and as our elder team from teaching you everything that God has commanded you to are you here? Super important. Super important. Why do we do that, though? Because showing that we baptize 50 people on a Sunday is faster gratification than walking with you and discipling you and helping you find and follow Jesus for a lifetime. You see, because teaching you everything that God has commanded and you teaching me everything that God has commanded is slow. And lasts a lifetime. It's not fast. And we don't always recognize the effects of the secular culture on ourselves. That we actually, we actually do like having things fast. And having what I want, when I want it, how I want it. We're, we're actually all discipled in that culture, aren't we? I am. It's... It, it pains me sometimes to get up here and preach about this stuff because then I go home and I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I've got like all these problems. And it affects us. So we settle for instant gratification instead of what Jesus offered in that slow lifetime of apprenticeship to Jesus. There's another issue at play here, too, is that the capital C church is still battling secular two when we live in secular three. Does that make sense? We're we're still battling church attendance when people don't even believe in God. In reality, what Jesus said is go into all the what world and preach the gospel, right? It did say gather everybody in the church and preach the gospel. Super important. Now listen, if you got saved within the walls of church, some of you have gotten saved within the walls of this church. Incredible. <laughs> we wouldn't trade that for the world. But as a whole, the way we do the mission of God as the people of God, bringing about the city of God matters because he had a blueprint for us to follow and we're trading that in at times. For a secular version of the church. So back to my first question. Are we really following Jesus? Are, are we actually following Jesus? And how do I know? How do I start? I love what a 7th century friar named Brother Lawrence wrote. And he said it this way. He said, we have to, and I think this will be on the screen for you, we have to learn to practice the presence of God. Think about that. 
so often we think about our discipleship, right? Even that word discipleship, right? Like it conjures up different feelings for all of us. If you never grew up in the church, you're like, oh, tell me more. If you grew up in the church for your entire life like I did, you're like, no, right? Like I know what that means and I'm not going to Awana, <laughs> but I'm not wearing that kerchief. All right. Get it off me. Right. I'm looking at you, mom and dad. All right. I'm still I still never got over that. Just kidding. I love Awana. Learned a lot from Awana. We love you, Awana. If we have a bigger building someday, we might do Awana. Just don't want to. Yeah. What does it mean to learn to practice the presence of God? It's not what I, I say all that back on track. I say all that to say that you don't learn to practice the presence of God in a program. You don't learn to practice the presence of God in a program. We have things like city groups and growth track and regen, and we we do all these different things. We gather on Sundays. We do those things because they are tools along the way in your practicing the presence of God. They are aids in you finding and following Jesus. They're aids in you having your vision turned up. Right. But they are not the goal. The goal is not that you would be in growth track. The goal is not that you would just be in a city group with your attendance. Right. The goal is that you would have your vision turned up, that you would love God. And then as good news comes to you, you would in turn bring good news to others. Right. That you would begin to transform to be like Jesus. And eventually you'll start to do what Jesus did. But you don't start to do by what Jesus did by saying, I need to do what Jesus did. Pastor, give me the three steps to make it happen. No, it doesn't work like that. We call that burnout. Right? And so, so, so often if we look and are honest, we've allowed just our secular mindset and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. It's me. We, we've allowed that to infiltrate the spaces of our heart in more ways than maybe we might imagine. How do I know? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. All right? I want, I want to read this to you because I want to read to you what, what church is supposed to look like. Okay? And and this will begin the barometer for, are we really following Jesus, right? You're going to see some key things here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says this, For you were called to what? Freedom. You were called to freedom. Only do do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Listen to this. For the whole law, the entire thing is fulfilled in one word. Not like one word, but one word, like one sermon, like one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How's that going? Moving on. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Are you aware that the things you want to do aren't always the things that you should do? Can I get an amen in the church? Like, I don't want to amen that. I want to do what I want to do. Listen to this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Back to our question. Am I really following Jesus? Because these things are opposed to each other. That to walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh means if I love those other things, and we could add more. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's an exemplary list. But I'm going to say that the chances are that every single one of us could find ourselves in that list of things we ought not to be doing. Yeah? Can we be honest in church today? Can we not play games with each other that, that I'm on that list and I'm a professional Christian and I'm still on this list. Can you believe that? Terrible. But listen to this. So important. How do I know if I'm really following Jesus? But the fruit of your effort is, is that what it says? That's not what it says. What's it say? The fruit of the what? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Jesus, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. How do I know if I'm following Jesus? How do I know if I'm practicing the presence of God? It's that you're not manufacturing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That, that you're not working at those things. That those things are manifesting in your life. That the fruit of the spirit. Camden said this to me just the other day. I was so frustrated with a certain situation that we're facing in life. I was sitting on the couch having a pout fest. True? Look at her. She's like, uh, she's like, let me come up there and tell you about that pout fest. No. <laughs> I just, you know, just moment like I'm human, right? And she, she looked at me. She said, you are a godly man and you have the fruit of the spirit. So snap out of it. I was like, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I don't want to. I think I said I don't want to. <laughs> right? Why? Because it's not something that we just turn on and off. How do you know if you're truly following Jesus? Because you've become an apprentice to Jesus. Like there are no shortcuts to this. This is... A surrendering of your entire life to the ways and will of Jesus. All of it. No shortcuts. 
Can I, can I be honest with you again? A lot of honesty today. That's good. I think the reality is, is that we find ourselves in this secular culture, this, this, this place that we live, and we've all been discipled by it in some way. We've been formed by it in some ways. That if, if I'm just going to be honest with you, I, I think that the real issue just lies in we don't really want to follow Jesus. Because he says crazy things like, lay down your life for the sake of others and you'll find it. For those of us who have just about gained the whole world, it's hard to let go of the whole world so that you don't lose your soul because we've been discipled to see what we have now. There's a lack of transcendence. Like we feel so disconnected from the Holy Spirit because we can't see him. And yet the writers of old said, oh, that you can, Psalm 34, 1, oh, that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. We've lost that. We've lost that. I, I think an illustration can help us. Camden and I, for the last like six months, she's convinced me, dragged me kicking and screaming to get out of bed early and go running with her. Now, before you think I'm doing awesome, it's awful, all right? And she, like, dangled a carrot that we can talk about later, but there's a reason I get out and go running with her. Uh, A, to spend time with her, of course, but uh, then the other thing helps, too. And we've been running, and it's terrible. I hate it. I I, I absolutely hate it. Sorry, Anthony. All right. He's been trying to get me exercise for long. I hate it. Like, and then like every now and then, like you'll be running and you'll see somebody who's not just out there running, but they're a runner. You know the difference, right? There, there's people who run like me and then there's like runners. What's the difference? They look like a gazelle. They're not, they don't look like they're dying. They're smiling. Even they're having a conversation. What does Mitch look like? Mitch looks more like a horse. (laughs) Like. Where's the oats? I need, I need food, right? Like there's a difference, right? What's the difference? I want the results of running. I don't want to give my life to the lifestyle of running. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference. Like it's good that Mitch gets up and moves his body every morning, right? Like that is good. Like that's good for my heart. That's going to help keep me healthier than I'd be if I didn't. But let's not confuse Mitch getting up to be heart healthy (laughs) with being a runner, right? Like Jerome, you were a runner in college. Like Jerome was actually fast. (laughs) You were what? Was. (laughs) Father time. (laughs) Gets us all. But you you know what I'm saying? Like you aren't going to be a runner unless you eat right, sleep right. Train right, like all the things, right? Like there, there's a lifestyle that goes with that. Mitch does, has not taken on that lifestyle because you know what? I mean, I still, Christmas Eve, I'm going to have me some pie. I'm not a runner. There, there, there's a giving of your life to that. And what I'm suggesting to you is that for you to truly follow Jesus, there's a giving of your life to following Jesus. You cannot, there are no shortcuts. You cannot have the results 
of truly following Jesus without truly following Jesus. To live the way of Jesus in a secular culture is very difficult. There's an illusion that we can have both, and we can't. It's easier to live whatever kind of life I want to live and then show up at a building that I call the church one or two Sundays out of the year and call that following Jesus. And frankly, I'd just be honest with you, that's not following Jesus. It's not. And so we, we, we have to, as a church family, this Advent season, ask a different question. Why did we walk away from the church and secular too in the first place? Why does Galatians chapter 5 seem like an alien concept? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be in step with the Spirit and not gratify the desires of my flesh? What, is, what does that even look like that I would not gratify myself at all times? We've lost our touch with transcendence. My pastors, when I was growing up, would call it this. We, we have lost our eternal perspective. Because if my life extends beyond what I do here and now for eternity, I don't feel as pressed for time as I maybe do if I don't have that perspective. Does that make sense? That we've compressed our lifetime and now we think we need to live three lives within our lifetime. <laughs> we need to do what I, like, like, let, let me give you some practical examples, right? This is why we're fascinated as a culture with space travel right now, but not ending human trafficking. Like, imagine if we dumped the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we do into space travel into ending human trafficking. How would that go? That might be a good idea. That's why we go gaga over celebrities and Netflix and Instagram, but we can't chat with our neighbors. Church, we don't need more things to do. I, I refuse as your pastor to combat Secular 2 when we're living in Secular 3 with a bunch of programs to get you back into this place. Okay, I want to see you here every Sunday, but because you want to be with the people of God, not because it's a thing to do. And so we need what the psalmist described in Psalm 34.1. We need to recover that transcendence. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. As the video reminded us before I came up here, Henry Nouwen's correct. Advent is life. It is, life is this, is this constant invitation for you to come back and discover your God. Advent is an invitation to a life of expectation centered around experiencing God. Jesus would say, you can have life to the full, but there are no shortcuts to life to the full. You have to abide in Jesus for a lifetime. Because listen, you could, you could gain the whole world, and some of us have. We have all the things we could possibly want. But you know what? All it takes is one call from your doctor for that all to go away. All it takes is one bout with depression for that all to go away. All it takes is one bout with burnout for all of that. What was meaningful to you to become meaningless can happen in an instant. 
Now listen, I've, I've thrown a whole lot at you today, and I get that. You might need to go back and listen to this again or watch this again to really wrap your head around these secular phases. But with all of that, what's the answer? Oh, where are my pragmatists at in the room, right? You're like, that's great, Pastor. My wife is one, so I always think about her when I'm three. Like, that's great, man. The great philosophy. I agree. What do I do tomorrow? <laughs> give, me, give me the tangible. I want to invite you to look at another scripture with me, an Advent scripture that will give you the answer that you're looking for. I want you to taste and know and see the answer. And so John the Apostle, one of Jesus' closest friends on earth, wrote in John chapter 1 some familiar words. And I want you to look at them. And I want you to think about them from the perspective of what I just shared. Am I really following Jesus and what does the advent of Christ, what does the incarnation of Christ, what does Jesus stepping on earth have to do with it? Look at this in John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. And listen to this, verse 3. All things, how many? All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he is the creator and sustainer of everything. And in him was what? Life. Listen to me. In Jesus is life. Life is not found in your job. Life is not found in your kids. Life is not found in finding a spouse. Life is not found in anything you can possibly think of. Life is only found in Jesus. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness And the darkness has not overcome it. What is Advent all about? The fact that you can have life right now. And that life becomes light that can never be turned off. So if you're facing depression right now, if you feel shame right now, if you feel loneliness right now as we step into Advent, listen to me. You can have abundant life. Right now, because life comes from nowhere else but Jesus. You can have it right now, no matter what you're going, no no matter what kind of darkness you have stepped into, because the light overcomes the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. The light is the brightest in the darkness. I love that. In him was life. The answer to the question, what do I do tomorrow with all that philosophy you just threw on me, is Jesus. There is no substitute for knowing Jesus. And I'm not talking about in some superficial way. You would not marry someone, give your whole life to someone in a true covenant. I'm not talking about what we do today. A true covenant of marriage without knowing that person giving your life to that person. We wouldn't do that. A baby in the right home environment has an inescapable connection to his father and mother. 
because they share the deepest DNA. They've been weaned from birth in that family to be a part of that family. Adoption is so beautiful because we are taking and setting aside our rights and giving them to a child and saying, you're ours and you have all the rights of being ours. You are wanted. And so I want to invite you to recognize that you actually do know what it's like to love and know and follow Jesus. The reality is, is that there's just no shortcuts when our secular culture says there are. When many, many churches say there are, there aren't. To abide in Christ takes a lifetime. There are no shortcuts. What I'm actually suggesting, what I have the audacity to suggest right now, this Advent season, is that you give your entire life to following Jesus. That you would surrender all of it to him. You have to practice the presence of God. You have to be with him. He isn't just another thing to squeeze on your calendar. He's a person to know and love and serve and be with. The Advent story is then in verse 9 to 14. Here's what it says. It says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, the incarnation of Jesus. Becoming flesh, becoming human. He was in the world and the world was made through him. But listen to this testimony. Yet the world did not know him. That's intentional language. The world did not know him. You have to know him to follow him. My beautiful little five-year-old who is standing right here belting out away in a manger would never follow you anywhere. Why? She, she would do what if you came up and said, hey, Baylor, let's go. She'd go, she'd come find my leg and she'd go. Why? Because she, she knows me. She knows the voice of her father. When I come home and she sees me or when she comes home from school, there's like this light, ding, 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 light that goes on in her. And it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> I love it every day. I can't get enough of it. Because she knows me. And, and, and that is what your relationship with God is like. Do you know him? And there's no shortcuts to knowing him. Look at what the scripture came on. It says, he came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. But to all, here's, here's where hope this Advent is. Listen to this. But to all who did receive him, oh man, to all who will receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can be like Baylor. incredible relationship with your father. Drop down to verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beauty and tragedy, still true today. Beauty and tragedy. We've lost our view of the transcendent. We've lost our view, our touch with eternity, with our Creator. We are creatures who need their Creator. We need to receive Him, believe in Him, and become His child. That's the way to follow Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it starts in that place. The Bible says the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death. But that's why the incarnation matters to you right now, this Advent season, that he didn't leave you in the death that was awaiting you. No, no, no. He stepped out of the splendors of his heaven to come and make it right for you. The answer is to know Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to devote your life to him. Like, really? Like, move some other things aside so he can be at the center. This is a tangible commitment to a different way of life. I want to be clear. That a, a way of life that rehabituates our desires, that changes what we want, changes what we love, makes us okay with missing out on some of those things to have Him. That's when we know we're there. So let me give you three really practical things you can do starting now. Okay, write these down. They're not going to surprise you. But I hope they're framed in a different way for you. Number one, Sabbath. Sabbath. If the God of the universe worked for six days creating creation and he's perfect and he chose to rest on the seventh day, guess what you need? You need a whole day where you don't work, where you don't hustle, where you don't run fast, where you don't run hard, where you stop looking at the notifications and you walk outside and you take your shoes off and you walk in the grass. Jump in the lake. No, don't do that. It's alligators. Pool. (laughs) Step into the ocean. Look up at the sky. Do something in nature because that's where God is. Right? The scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. The word became flesh and we beheld his glory. Go find it. Rest, worship, silence, solitude. Take a nap. Amen. Clear your schedule. Be present with your people. It'll change your heart. It will. Number two, community. And I'm not just talking about relationships. Community is other followers of Jesus in the body of Christ that you do life with. Because listen to me, nobody can follow Jesus by themselves. You cannot do it. God did not make you that way. Right? What did Galatians 5 say? That we would do all that so that we could love and serve one another. What does it look like to walk in the spirit? To care about people. But you don't just manufacture that. You don't just make that happen. 
You have to spend time with Jesus. You have to Sabbath with Jesus. You have to spend quality time with Jesus to get to the point where you want to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. Transformation shapes us. It exposes us. Think about it like a sponge. You suck in whatever's around you. So be careful of what's around you. These are essential things. This is why we gather on Sunday. This is why you're in a city group. Not just for the sake of it, but because we're all sponges. We're being shaped by something. Something's filling you up. Sabbath community and number three, leaning into the Holy Spirit. You have to go there. This is how we practice the presence of God. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. This is lifetime work. This is not a program at Redeemer. This is Redeemer. Walk in the Spirit. Pray. Read the Word. Sit. Listen. Be formed. Be shaped. I'm not going to share these for sake of time, but if you want to write these down, James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Super important. Memorize them. It's part of leaning into the Holy Spirit. So I want, I want to do this. I want to, as we close here, I'm going to have the band come back up and we're